So that's that's the like not successful version of the story. Yeah. Do, do yeah. you want to do you want to hear some of the things that we got really right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so and this is the stuff that that gets talked about less. Welcome to this special 101st episode of the Drill to Detail podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Ripman. Our very special guest on this very special episode is none other than Tristan Handy, founder and CEO of DBT Labs and returning guest to the show. Welcome back, Tristan. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And um, maybe for the one person in the world who doesn't know who you are, um, maybe just do a little intro to who you are, Tristan, and, uh, and what you do. So uh, my name's Tristan. I have been in data for about 20 years. Um, about coming up on seven years ago, I started a company called Fishtown Analytics. Um, and right around then, uh, my co-founder Drew made the first, well, Drew, Drew actually made the second ever commit to DBT. Um, and we, Fishtown Analytics was an analytics consulting company for about three and a half years. And then because of the um, the community traction that DBT had gotten. Um, we ended up raising money. Uh, we turned into a pure play software company. Now, uh, eventually changed their name to DBT Labs because we were uh, tired of answering the question, uh, what is Fishtown over and over and over again? So Tristan, you've been a guest on the show a few times now, which has been great. Which is great. Um, but I want to take a different tack on this episode um, and talk about three stories that personally I'm interested in and I think maybe illustrate your way of thinking and, and the thoughts that's gone into analytics engineering and DBT labs and, and a lot of the things that really underpin the modern data stack. So really the first thing I want to talk to you about and that I've been fascinated by personally is the story behind RJ Metrics. So most people know the story that DBT came out of RJ Metrics along with Stitch and, and so on there. Um, and, but there's often this narrative around RJ Metrics that it was, in, it was in some form a failure. It didn't sell as much as it could do in the end. Uh, it didn't take advantage of the, maybe the network effects of ecosystems. It, the technology was, was, was kind of um, was obsoleted by things like Redshift. Um, but really, from what I can tell, there was a lot that was actually quite interesting about RJ Metrics particularly RJ Metrics, the product, you know, the, the content that was in there and so on. Um, so, and actually I sat through a podcast that you recorded um, a few years ago um, and it was talking about uh, the top the top metrics that um, an e-commerce business should focus on, for example, for growth. I just thought at the time there's some, there's a lot of value in this and it's something we don't necessarily see in the modern data stack now, this kind of opinion about metrics. So um, maybe just talk to us about what RJ Metrics was and what went what went right as well as what went wrong? Okay, okay. Let's. Let, this is going to be fun. Let's get into this because I think that that maybe a lot of the story that has survived around RJ Metrics has been the story of um, not being as successful as any of us wanted it to be. Um, so let me tell that version of the story real quick, and then we can get into maybe what's what's a less told version, which is um, some of the things that we did did really right there. Um, okay, so. Uh, RJ Metrics was started in, I think, late 2008, maybe early 2009, so somewhere in that era, um, by two folks out of uh, Insight Venture Partners, uh, Jake Stein and Bob Moore. Um, sorry, Bob, let me do it the other way. Bob Moore and Jake Stein, uh, 
Uh, Bob would be forever offended if I, I put his name second in that comment delimited list. Um, but uh, the, it was a um, it it was it came out of something that um, specifically Bob saw in his work at Insight. He was kind of the, the quant guy, where um, he was involved in doing all the due diligence of of the, the companies that they were looking at, and and there was like a standard diligence playbook um, that they ran uh, companies through. Uh, cohort analysis and customer lifetime value and all the, all these different things. And um, Bob had kind of routinized this a little bit while at Insight. And then he said, I want to create a SaaS company to uh, take this to the, to the next level. And the, you know, if, if you want to say that the company was not successful, I think really the, the primary driver around its non-success was that the date of its founding. That's why it's, that's what, what I always start the story with. It was you know, started in early 2009 because early 2009 is just a couple of years before the launch of um, Amazon Redshift and the subsequent, uh, you know, bringing into life of the entire modern data stack. And as, as Redshift and Looker and Fivetran and Mode and Periscope and all these other companies kind of took flight um, it was clear that the, uh, that, you know, I, as I was sitting inside of RJ metrics and watching all this happen, um, it was clear that we could not possibly out innovate that entire ecosystem. Um, and, and when you, when you built a BI tool starting in early 2009, you, you kind of had to build essentially everything yourself. You had to build data ingestion and you had to have a warehouse itself. You had to, uh, do transformation layer, you, and you had to do analytics. And now you have each of these four categories being owned by independent venture funded companies um, that they could just focus on what they did best, and and they were they they moved faster. Um, so that's that's the like you know, and and eventually that that ecosystem outcompeted us, and we decided to, you know if you can't beat them, join them. Um, and so we carved out a part of the RJ Metrics tech stack, and that eventually became Stitch. Um, Stitch as a data integration tool c- competitive with Fivetran. And eventually that was was sold to Talent for like a, a, a reasonable uh, acquisition number, um, not a looker style number, but um, you know, it, it, it was at least partially successful. Um, so that's, that's the like not successful version of the story. Do, do you want to, do you want to hear some of the things that we got really right? Okay. Okay. So, and this is the stuff that, that gets talked about less. Um, RJ metrics, the, the foundation of the project was metrics and m- many, many BI tools um, of that era. And even, even today um, don't actually have, they don't have a metadata concept of, of a business metric. And, when when you don't have that, then you are kind of missing uh, this abstraction layer that that um, allows business users to uh, interact with the data more seamlessly, and also that that the tool can then start doing things on your behalf. So if you went into RJ Metrics and you defined you know a core set of uh, you know res- revenue customers, etc. Um, it could start doing things for you, like it could 
automatically you could say, you know, cohort this data and buy buy the following field. Um, you could, uh, gosh, it's been it's been a long time now. Um, it, it 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 like baked in some of these like really important uh, e-commerce and SaaS metrics right right out of the gate. And so the time to value that you know back in let's say 2012 that a company would get when they just plugged in some of their core operational systems was like incredibly high and sometimes still not the, today's tooling doesn't doesn't eclipse it in terms of like how much value you could get as quickly so was the benefit due to the fact it had a semantic layer or was it actually the content that was in the semantic layer um and with things like best practice definitions of e-commerce metrics for example um the, the, yeah, there there was as you could call it a semantic layer. It was it was like tightly coupled with the tool, and I think maybe not not as powerful as something like LookML, but um, that that did fundamentally drive how all visualizations uh, got created in, inside the product. Um, but but I think it was it was more than just kind of a horizontal semantic layer. It was um, based on this core idea that like there are certain business models out there that our users are going to have. And the two biggest ones for us were e-commerce and SaaS. And uh, if you know the business model of the company, then you have a pretty strong idea of like what stuff they're going to need to measure. And so you can make measuring those things easier. And I think a lot of the modern data stack um, kind of loses that concept a little bit. We've, we've built very horizontal technology, which is allowed us to um, service, uh, you know, appreciably all data use cases. Um, but it, we're not, modern data stack vendors are not as opinionated about like, uh, how do you, as a SaaS company, go from zero to 60 as quickly as possible? So you and I have had this conversation in the past where I've talked about um, the fact that back in the Oracle BI world that I used to come from, um, the content layer that would run on top of the actual BI infrastructure mm. would sell for many, many multiples of the of the price of the of the infrastructure and the BI tool because that's where the value was for customers. Um, and I've always been surprised that in the modern data stack world and the DBT world, there hasn't really been an equivalent to DBT, but for content, you know, an actual maybe a user community and an open source project around collecting content together to go with BI as well as well as the tooling. Um, do you have any sort of thoughts on that? Have any kind of, is that a surprise to you or or, or what? Oh gosh, um, a little bit. So so my original thesis around DBT was not actually let's build a horizontal data modeling product. It it was um, it started out as a package delivery system for Stitch. That's which is why you know we were investing in it, uh, you know, while while at the company, um, uh, you know, essentially I wanted to do what Fivetran is now doing with DBT very extensively, and and t- taking every connector that we published and building useful data models and analytics on top of it. So we, you know, back then we released data models for Stripe and Mailchimp and I don't know a couple other products, um, and. And so th- this idea of like delivering reusable analytics via DBT was has been around for me since the beginning. And again, something that really struck me about the way you marketed RJ Metrics was that you didn't just market it as being a technology or a platform. You marketed it as a solution, would you say? 
You know, that, that is a fair thing to say. And I think that, you know, I talked a little bit about where that came from and kind of the history of the company. But there's also the fact that back in 2012, 2013, um, you, the, the, you know, we were still selling to early adopters and um, the, those often were digital native companies. And, and back in that time period, it was not common at, um, you know, series A, series B companies to have any, literally any data technology at all. And it was not like, oh, well, are you going to buy RJ Metrics? Or are you going to buy Looker in the early days? It was like, well, currently I'm doing everything in Excel. Why should I spend literally any money on this? And so we had to um, be very use case focused because the other, uh, if, if you just went and sold horizontal technology, the answer was just, no, I'm not interested in that. And, and the, the, the most competitive, common competitive questions that we got back in the, in the day were like RJ metrics versus Google analytics or RJ metrics versus Mixpanel. panel. It was just like, these were the only data products that, that early stage companies bought. So, you know, as as you said earlier on, uh, RJ Metrics, the product was was certainly successful in its time. Um, but then, I'm interested to understand how you and Jake had the the kind of the thoughts or the foresight, really, or maybe the bravery, you know, to to take what was a successful product at the time, but then but then actually kind of decompose it and almost like cannibalize your own business to turn that into Stitch and DBT. Um, it's, it's easy. It's easy to destroy things. It's easy to break things down, but not so easy to build build things. So maybe just tell us a bit about how that worked and how you came to that decision in the end. Um, I wish I could tell you that we were, you know, courageous visionaries here. (laughs) Um, But, but it honestly, it it probably took us about a long, a little, a little over a year longer than it should have to, to make this change. Um, We, we started, seeing the success of the modern data stack in our own numbers, um, in our deal close rates, uh, in our, in our pipeline. Um, you know, whereas I, I don't, honestly, I don't even remember what our, you know, close rates were at one point in time, but, uh, but, but we, we saw those kinds of numbers fall off a cliff and, and then, uh, our, our very pretty exponential curve, uh, flattened out and, and it was, you know, I think that um, when whenever you uh, decide to do something new, uh, you 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 have to ask like, well, why did that person do do that thing? Because you know, most people at any given point in time, they're just kind of muddling along, whatever. Um, and and honestly, if I put myself back in the mindset of you know me from twenty fifteen. I would have been much happier to continue muddling along, and you know, if the, if RJ had been doing well, I probably would still be there, or whatever. Um, but but the we got such a strong signal from the market that like, hey, there's a new thing coming um, that uh, you couldn't you couldn't do anything but respond to it. As me, as a longtime data practitioner, but also as a person who was you know working at a company that clearly wasn't going to be able to continue to just pursue the status quo. 
So he went on then to set up something called the Analyst Collective. Um, so maybe let's talk about that. Um, yeah, where, how that idea emerged, what the kind of intention was behind it. Because um, it was quite a different approach to, to what RJ was doing at the time. And I think one of the things about you is that if you do things, you don't do them by half, really. So tell <laughs> us a bit about that and um, what the Analyst Collective was and um, how, that's beca- how that actually became the foundation for a lot of what then came with DBT and analytics engineering. So... Analyst Collective was uh, really just an idea that um, I was, as so many of my ideas uh, start with, uh, I was frustrated that software engineers had a thing and I didn't have that thing. And in this case, um, I was frustrated that software engineers had Stack Overflow. And, you know, if, if you're a longtime data practitioner, you've probably experienced uh, what it's like to try to describe a problem that you're having in like in, in an appropriate Google search and then like click through the results and, you know, okay. If you want to, if, if you have a like very specific SQL question, like, yes, you can get that answered from, from Stack Overflow, but, but most questions that data people have are, um, not don't map so well to like something syntactically in, uh, in, in SQL. And, and I just felt completely, um, unsupported. What the, the thing that, um, the thing that I was trying to do early on in my redshift usage was, uh, I wanted to figure out how to get, uh, like I had, I had a, a time series that was one, one record per day, but there were some days that had no data. And so they didn't have a record in the result set. And that caused all kinds of problems with the report that I was generating. And I, I didn't know how to create a result set that had a record for the days with null data in it. And uh, I, I tried every Google search that I could think of. I eventually like shoulder tapped somebody that I worked with and like we brainstormed on this for a while and and now people this is common knowledge in the dbt ecosystem you join to a a days table um but like i just didn't know anybody who knew that answer back then and so i i wanted to see if i could create some version of a of a analyst community where we could all kind of make ourselves better um and then i thought to myself i actually have no idea how to do that um, so maybe I'll just be an analytics consultant and maybe I'll figure out a way to do that <laughs> as, as time goes on. So just after that time, you, um, you remember you posted a blog on uh, Medium where you talked about how you were starting Fristown Analytics. And, you know, you were talking about how analytics was a trade and how um, it was almost like as a reaction to, to, you know, working in a startup or working in a kind of environment like that. You wanted to build this environment at Fishtown where, analytics would be would be treated a bit differently really so maybe just talk to us about that and the thinking behind fishtown and that blog post uh, uh, th- this too is uh, in reference to to software engineering so you know you can uh, Essentially, every function inside of a venture-backed startup is uh, is oh, how do I put this? Um, 
it's it's like under a tremendous amount of pressure to uh, ship now, 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 now. And if if it's uh, if it's not now, then it's you know in five minutes. Um, and uh, the the one the the one team that kind of creates a little bit of space for itself. Uh, to be a little bit more thoughtful about its approach, and, and maybe maybe I'm like making the maximalist version of this argument. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but I think that this is kind of broadly true. The one team that carves out some space for itself is the engineering team, and I think that that is because um, there are enough people in the technology ecosystem who have seen enough horror stories when you just try to do the most expedient possible thing, and you know things blow up and the company dies um, that, that engineers have said, like, look, uh, you need to let me think for a minute about what the right way to do this is. And then we can also think about what the fast way is to do that. And we can make a decision, which, which we want to do. But, but if you, as a data analyst, tried to say in 2015, like, hey, just hold on a second. Like, let me think for a second about whether I want to do this the fast way or the right way, um, that that wouldn't have computed to anybody. It it's, it was such a foreign concept that even the data analysts wouldn't wouldn't have even understood like what what does a right way even look like. And so I I wanted to um, I- import some of this trade trade craft into uh, in, into the analytics profession, which which creates space to just say like, okay, I, I'm not just in the process of constantly in real time responding to requests as fast as I can. I also have a roadmap. I also have like a long term strategy for how my work is is getting built out and how I'm creating leverage for myself over time. Yeah, so I definitely thought that was there's quite a fresh thought at the time. Um, I'm at, back at that point, everybody was either using Excel for BI or they were using graphical BI tools and just like knocking out analyses and there was no real kind of there was repeatability and testing and so on. Um, but, you, but, but what you were proposing was to be mindful about how we did analytics and how treating it as a craft and, and, and giving it a lot more care of attention. I mean, so that was really refreshing at the time. So... So I remember meeting you for the first time. Um, I think we'd recorded an episode of the podcast before, but um, it was the first time I met you in person and we were both at a uh, Looker Partner event. I think um, Keenan was presenting and they were doing some kind of worthy uh, Partner of the Year award. Uh, and after a while, I thought, well, I'm going to the pub. <laughs> and so I sort of sneaked out the back and mm-hmm, uh, bumped mm-hmm. into you and I persuaded you to come and join me. Um, <laughs> so that was the kind of first time that we'd ever spoken. And you had this, and you told me at the time about Fishtown's business model where you again has very strong opinions about how you were doing things um and uh the model you were you, you were going to follow which was uh will you tell us about it tell us about the fishtail model and how that um actually you know became quite successful yeah 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 the, um i think there's a lot of interesting stuff to to learn from our consulting days and and i i don't know how successful we were i know that we were successful enough um but but there are many uh Many consultancies that started later and scaled much faster, got much much bigger, and I'm sure made their founders much more money than uh, Fishtown Analytics ever ever made me. Um, that my take was that if you know, I had always believed that DBT was going to be kind of our our secret sauce uh, from a consulting delivery perspective, and I knew that DBT allowed um, you to deliver uh, this the same amount of 
work or insight with uh, less like human time. And, um, and that if I knew that if we had a really strong opinion about our target customer profile, then mo- m- many of those companies could look similar to one another. And then we could deploy reusable analytics using DBT packages across multiple. So um, what one of the things in our contract was that um, we could use code from client engagements and we could open source that code, assuming that it had no like, you know, client proprietary stuff in it. And um, so, so the, the idea was to have a bunch of clients that all looked similar and then continue to open source chunks of this code. Um, and then every subsequent client got easier because we would, ha- would be able to leverage work from clients before. And so we charged on a per sprint basis and the sprints were, about, they were not about a number of hours. They were about a number of points. Then the points look, it related to value. And so it, after we built up a, a kind of a repeatable book of, of like a repeatable playbook, sometimes we could go for like the, and each of these sprints was depending on the time it was either 25 or $3,000 and um Sometimes we could onboard a new client in one of our like core verticals, SaaS or e-commerce, and um, we could do four, five, six sprints without writing a single new line of code because our playbooks were so good. So how do you manage to keep scaling the business and keep true to your um, analytics as a trade um, principles? So, so it was interesting because if, if, what we were doing was we we didn't spend a majority of our time um, putting hours into individual customer projects. What we spent more of our time doing was um, curating this set of play. I'm saying playbooks, but really they were like DBT packages plus maybe looker blocks. Um, and, and, and so we really tried to say like, oh, I mean, for example, we had a, we had a, e-commerce Shopify uh, playbook. And um, I don't know, we, we probably built that out over the course of a couple dozen clients that, that used Shopify. And, um, and, and so we, we actually spent real time thinking about like, okay, over these couple dozen businesses, what are the things that generalize? What are the options that we need to put in here? Because these are the things that differ. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we scaled our own tradecraft back in the consulting days. So another thing that I've realized um, with my businesses over time is it's never just about me or you or, or the kind of leaders. It's about the whole team, really. And the team mm-hmm. is the key to everything. Um, and something that's obvious to me about how you've run things is certainly that's been, seems to be sort of fairly central to how you do things. And there's names that I recognize there that have been there through the days of Fishtown and and now DBT Labs, mm-hmm. um, and there's a certain way in which you run the companies as well. You know, you're very open with how you do things. I think there is, you know, your your corporate handbook is on on GitHub, and your change change mm-hmm. log on it as well is there as well. <laughs> um, so, you know, how have you managed to build a team over time? How important is that team, um, and how important is the way in which Fishtown and, and DBT Labs have been run? Oh gosh, I don't. We're we're originally from Philly. RJ Metrics is from Philly, and um, so the 
uh, five of the original team members were all from here. So uh, myself and Drew and Connor, co-founders, um, and then uh, employee number one was Erin. Um, she ran a consulting business. Um, and then we added Janessa, uh, who was maybe employee number 10, something like that. Um, and uh, she's run marketing um, ever since. And so that give, and, and, and we, you know, we added a, a bunch of other people in there, but the, these folks at this point I've worked with for now a decade. Um, and I, I, you know, we've gone through different iterations of like who, who does what and how the reporting relationships work and all this, but like it does give any company, not just us, but if, if you can start a company with people that you, you know, well, and that if you can continue those relationships, it, Gosh, it's it's such a powerful foundation on which to build uh, because you already come in with these kind of uh, whether you want to say like uh, culture and values or or just like kind of implicit unstated norms of behavior that you kind of bring with you that are very hard sometimes to to write write down. So how much is uh, Philly and the grounding it gives you and the fact that it probably your, your friends and whoever you um, associate with aren't tech entrepreneurs, how much of that part of defines who you are and how you think? Um, I think it has been incredibly foundational for us. Um, the, I, the, the original idea for the consulting business was just that uh, there were you know, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to look for a VP of analytics job. I wanted that to be my next job. And there were no, you know, early stage, mid stage companies in Philadelphia at the time that, um, uh, were hiring for, for a VP of analytics. And I also was not, um, uh, it was not open to to leaving. I was definitely staying in Philly, and so that that's kind of like at the core of uh, why the company started in the first place. But but that's just a, like a, a generalization of a uh, a bigger point. Um, that when when you're not located in uh, the kind of center of the tech universe, it it means that you have the ability to diverge from the kind of conventional wisdom. Uh, to, to like take paths that are less traveled. I mean, if, if I was in uh, Silicon Valley in, in this time period, I probably would have gotten sucked up into uh, the, the uh, set of uh, companies that were, uh, I mean, what, what, what was like 2015, 2016, what was like the hottest thing in uh, data engineering. It was it was Airflow, and it was a bunch of internal tooling that was being built inside of um, Airbnb and LinkedIn and Twitter and you know et cetera. And maybe maybe I would have uh, had a nice little Apache project to my name uh, that was highly useful in uh, a very constrained context of a of a hyperscale tech company. But but because we were located outside of that uh, you know kind of information sphere. Uh, we we were thinking about problems that were relevant to the the like much much larger group of companies who are not you know a hyperscale tech company. The last thing I want to talk about um, now is is I suppose the journey you've been on um, since the last couple of years really when you know you've been uh, you started off by being CEO of Fishtown defined by the fact that you 
you uh, you know wanted to treat analytics as a craft and you you know you were defined I suppose by not being part of a startup and and you know everything you've been saying earlier on um to then being CEO of a well-funded startup <laughs> with hundreds of staff pretty much one of the most consequential startups or successful startups of the last few years um and it must have kind of been quite an interesting journey for you really how have you handled it and how has it worked for you the team and, and so on I, w- I want to object to your characterization of biggest and most successful. I, I certainly would say that we're... Well, you've not done too badly. We're, we're, we're doing okay, and I think we're making a great impact, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, what impact has it had on me? Um, you know, I've been very... I, I went into this with open eyes. Um, I've, I've been involved in, you know, prior to raising money with... Then, then Fishtown Analytics. Uh, I had been at VC-backed companies for seven years, um, had seen the great stuff about that and the less great stuff about that. Um, the um, I tried to make the decision about fundraising based on what I thought, and this is this is the way that I think about it in my brain. I'm not. A, I'm not a religious person, but I think about like what does the universe need from me or the company or the product or whatever. And and when I say the universe, it's not really like it's the, actually that magical. It's just like there's, there's all these people out there and they, a lot of uh, our, our community is just continually pulling more stuff out of us. Like uh, ever since the first DBT commit, there have been people saying like, Hey, it would really help you me if you did X or Y or Z. And um, it it was it was getting to a place where it was a trade off. Like either we would have to kind of declare bankruptcy and say like, hey, we just can't keep up with the growth of this community, or we have to you know raise raise money and accelerate in that way. Um, and and it wasn't really about me and what I preferred. If you if you'd honestly if you'd purely ask me like what would I prefer, I would prefer to have. Uh, you know, five person consulting business, and I'd I'd still work with data every single day and work with clients, and and that that's like kind of that's how I console myself at night. I I sit there thinking about you, um, at home wishing you uh, wishing you had my small consultancy, <laughs> and uh, how it's all gone wrong with your uh, with your well funded startup. Well, like, yeah. To be honest, I I, I haven't. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to like really sit down and write code for hours and hours and hours in, in a long time. And that was where a lot of my professional joy came, came from. Um, now there's a lot of other great stuff about, um, what I get to do today. And I'm, I'm tremendously proud of the impact that the company is having on the, the ecosystem at large. And I think that we're still just getting started, but, um, you asked, you asked about me personally. And how about, so how do you think you and the team and the community have handled the changes that DBT has been through over the last few years? Um, I think the thing that every open source, uh, founder is, is stressed about is as you go down this trajectory of, uh, you know, having to be more and more of a grown up company, uh, do you, do you lose the team that started because of this big vision? Uh, do you lose the, the community who, uh, you know, in the early days, 
we were all just kind of like in it together and there was no kind of uh, profit motive or anything like that. And um, I certainly, I have been uh, stressed about this over the years. I, I think, and I'm sure your listeners are more well qualified to know this than, than I am, but I I think we've done a a reasonable job at trying to both build a a real company that, um, you know, is, is in the interest of our, uh, like the, the ability for us to like govern the project over the longest possible time horizon. Um, but, and also, uh, have taken our team on this journey kind of in, in stages. I will say that there, uh, we probably experienced about 30% employee churn from the, the days when we were a pure play consulting company and when we were a software company. And that was just because we were very transparent about, you know, that, that this is a, this is a different path and your roles in this different path look different. I mean, we certainly didn't like, we had an amazing team. We didn't let anyone go. Uh, but, but some people just raised their hands and said like, Hey, that's not exactly the company that I signed up to work for. And so that was cool. And they, they work at awesome companies now. So recently you announced the acquisition of uh, transform. Um, so how did that go? Well, uh, it, I have never acquired a company before. So, uh, that is, uh, something to, to check off my, my bucket list in life, I suppose. Um, no, I, I have. You know, certain elements within our company uh, have wanted to to be more acquisitive for several years now. Um, I think that the apparently, if you're from San Francisco, that like this is what you talk about when you like get together for beers. You like what who's going to acquire whom and what company should we acquire and all this. But I have so DBT is um, still a little bit unusual in the data space in terms of how we build product. And um, so it is, even if... So why is that then? Oh, just, just the way the product actually works is is a little bit different. Um, there's there's a bunch of... Re, uh, okay, so if you if you want to build a, a data catalog, um, you, you want to build a data catalog that integrates with everything, right? And... Uh, and and for, for us, um, we want to build a great catalog experience for DBT, and that those those two things are not the same. And the way that you build a, a data catalog for DBT is very different than the way you build a data catalog for like arbitrary different data thing. Um, and and so uh, that we've we've looked at different companies over the years and and. Um, uh, we we've just said like, well, that might be an interesting category, but the, the companies that are in, in that space today, we would just choose to build the product super, super different. Um, and this was the first time that we looked at a, a company where we were just like, that's, that's like exactly how we would want our product to look when it's more gro- grown up. Um, and, and not only that, but like, the, the team there that that's how we want our team to show up at work too. So it was, it was really, um, uh, I, I, I don't think you should expect us to all of a sudden be, become a very acquisitive company because it's not 
it's like a lot of things had to come together in a very, very positive way. So this this kind of stage in the story, this phase in the story of of, of DBT um, and DBT Labs, um, how would you like to sort of see this ending up? What's the kind of the perfect ending really for you um, for this sort the, of journey you're going on? The success for me is, um, I don't know if you've ever ended up on this Wikipedia page that shows the longest continuously operating companies in existence, right? It's an interesting page. There's like some Japanese pub that's like been operating for a, a thousand years or something. I mean, it's, there's, there's some really interesting ones. Um, to me, the, the reason that we made the pivot towards software that we did was because we wanted to be in a position to steward this community and this product in the longest possible time horizons. And so, you know, su- success for me personally will look like, you know, one day uh, having the the organization outlast me as its uh, as its CEO. I think that if you build something really successful, um, the the mark of that is that that y- you are no longer needed to to continue leading it. Now that I'm not actually th- thinking about that in any kind of act- active way, but but like that's that's success. Like I think that we are uh, the ideas that we are uh, helping bring to life, they're not two, three, five, even 10 year ideas. Like I think that this thing needs to exist for, for a long time. Tristan, as ever, it's been great to have you on the show. Um, just to round things off, where do people go to to find out more about DBT? GetDBT.com. And uh, if, you, uh, if you navigate in there to the community and sign up for Slack, um, shoot me a message. I'm at Tristan. I love, I love hearing from folks who are new to the community. 